This is Who Kicked the Corner Flag, an English soccer game show podcast. And here's your host, James Rose. Greetings and welcome to another download of our EPL highlights. While we're not quizzing out the action today, we're still here to provide a thorough breakdown of the latest happenings. But of course, I need two good friends of mine to do that. The first is the leader of the KC Spurs fan group and the man whose successful book club therapy sessions have now been heavily franchised across the other Spurs supporter groups. It's Mr. Jeremy Suente. How, how are you, bud? How, how are things going? <laughs> Burn it down. <laughs> the Chiefs burn have got it down. It the Chiefs matter. have got run it back, and we've got burn it down. Love it. Thank uh, God we have the Chiefs, by the way, here in Kansas City, Kansas City Football Chiefs. But you got to be kidding me. I yes. mean, we're going to get into it, but uh, not. It's not good, James. It's, it's not good. It's, it's not great. Uh, we're also joined by the leader of the Casey Gooners and the man who's already sent 12 boxes of Thin Mints to Aaron Ramsey, hashtag success story. Uh, it's Boyce Richardson. How are you? How are you bud? <laughs> Sending letter bombs to Craig Pawson's house and then following it up with another series to John Moss for his VAR activities today. It's absolutely ridiculous. They forced me to agree with John Terry and Ole Gunnar oh, no. Solskjaer. Like, oh, no. It's been a okay. rough day. <laughs> we picked a great time to do this pod. But <laughs> <It was hilarious. laughs> This is going to be just fantastic. Well, uh, who wants to start? Let's start with Spurs, I guess. Uh, currently sixth in the table, having collected seven points from 15. Yet they do still remain in the FA Cup and do have a League Cup final on the horizon. But I guess we should talk about the fact that they haven't managed to... Well, they've lost their last two in a row. Um, Jared, you know my thoughts on Jose Mourinho because I echo them every weekend uh, in many social media outlets. Do you agree... Do you disagree that it's Jose here or what seems to be this year, the specific problems at Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah. I mean, just the absolute models of inconsistency, right? I mean, it is, you know, what's making the rounds obviously is a Delhi's characterization of, uh, uh, of Jose's tactics and which you know, echo the criticisms that, uh, that frankly, you guys, uh, you two have, have kind of put forth. And I've been the Josie defender uh, saying that, you know what, you do it with the system. We actually got the, uh, some of the personnel to do it. I think uh, Hoybier was a great uh, addition and has been able to uh, uh, kind of marshal that midfield a little bit. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we're not scoring goals. Uh, and, 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 and you look at this, um, you know, putting up, I mean, the last time in the league, Spurs scored more than one. I think it was three, wasn't it? Uh, It was three, Sheffield United. And you can probably hear my son on the recording, and that is our soul (laughs) as Tottenham Hotspur supporters. (laughs) The despair echoes. (laughs) You know, but, I mean, this is just something that... I think uh, from what I see, too, like, it appears that we can only rely on players like Son and Kane one too many times, right? Because, you know, Son scores the wonder goals, Kane scores them, uh, and Dumbele, of course, with that freak goal that he scored. But to me, there doesn't seem to be any creativity in their play, anything in the midfield. There's just nothing that really connects the defense to the offense. 
And when, of course, you lose Harry Kane, you think, okay, from last two seasons, that like we've been joking about, oh, they're going to come out fine. They're going to be, the Sun's going to carry the team forward, no big deal. But that Brighton game clearly demonstrated that there was nothing. There was nothing left. It was like Kane left and the whole team just fell to bits. No creativity. Yes, the whole Serge Aurier stuff is, you know, a debate in itself. But Jose Mourinho picked a team that just didn't connect. Eric Dyer suddenly on the bench. Is he now out of favor? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any tangible sense to me. And I, I, you know, maybe this is just me, you know, sounding off about Jose Mourinho again. But it, it seems to me that the game has just passed him by at this point. Like, there's nothing. He doesn't have any plan B, any plan C. Like, his passive play has clearly just been found out now. And there's, <laughs> it just frustrates me, I guess. Well, boys made this point on our group uh group chat uh you know and and i've always you know yes the numbers kind of bear that out but the fact of the matter is the team is fundamentally better with harry kane on the pitch mm-hmm. now i think this i agree with boys i think it's going to be a little different you know prior harry wasn't dropping back and having that much hold up play and providing this level of assists and goal uh, uh, uh participation uh, outside of just scoring them Right. Yeah. I mean, this is no longer decoy. Got to mark the best striker um, and all that. He's drifting far back. He's playing players into positive positions and getting forward and, and, and the like. And he was prone to doing that before, but it always felt like he was just getting frustrated and he would just drop back. And then every once in a while, you're like, okay, Harry, get forward. Yeah. But now he leaned on it. And it, this was, I mean, we talked about this prior on the pod. It was a record-setting pace of for two players setting each other up goal after goal after goal between uh, Sonny and Kane. Take that away. I'm with you. It is you know toothless buildup. It is you know the passive play. It is the sit back, and eventually the lock is going to get picked. And I. I yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, you have Delhi being frozen out uh, and then being refused the transfer up to PSG. Um, it is, it's dismal to sit and think that was the window uh, 14 to 19? Yeah. Were those our years, you know? That's uh, it. You know, was that it? And this is our shot. You know, there's no, uh, no the, if you're talking about rebuilding and, and, and the like, I mean, this summer, it is going to be a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to see a lot out if you, you know, if, if Jose gets his way, I think. And, but it's going to be plugged into the pieces of the same type of play. And, um, and look, the guy's won everywhere he's been. Um, you know, if, but if all we get out of this is, you know, let's say a league cup title, um, is that not a Pyrrhic victory, right? Mm, uh, yeah. You know, moving forward. Um, and then with the cleaning house that's impending over the summer, we're going to sit around and say, okay, cool. We got a trophy. Now what? Yeah, exactly. Still, we- winning the Europa League is kind of paramount because, I mean, you're looking at top four right now. It's not guaranteed. Yeah. Not even close. 
Boys, what are your thoughts from a Spurs perspective? And then we'll flip the script and uh, break down the other North London team here. <laughs> well, I think first and foremost, Spurs' biggest problem is going to be what Liverpool's problem is going to be over the summer, which is the fact that every transfer value has regressed, right? So you're in a situation where Liverpool are in a position where they're debating whether or not they're going to sell one of their front three. You know, are they going to sell Firmino? Are they going to sell... Mo Salah, are they going to sell Sadio Mane to try and generate capital? Spurs were in the same position. But now, every Real Madrid, Barcelona, the teams that were in a position to have some capital to buy those players are gone. Even PSG, you look at the TV rights contract in France, everything's gone completely belly up. There's no money there really to be able to buy those players at a level that teams want. So the question is going to be, are Spurs – going to be able to generate the capital to be able to do that. I, you look at, I thought the Lo Celso deal was going to be significantly better than it has been. It's not. Uh, Tenge and Dombele's ended up being every bit as good as I thought he was going to be, if not a little bit better. I, that team, you know, and again, we referenced our text conversation, but the reality here is I think in previous years, Kane went out and he was such a centric part of the offense just from a scoring capacity, but he left and then the team got better. This year he leaves, I think it's arguable, and we can talk about this later. I think if not for the fact that the William deal is three years long and the and the Bale deal is only a year, there's an arguable circumstance there for which one of those is the worst, right? Like, I think Bale is making more money than William is this year. He might even be making almost double what William is this year by the time it's all said and done. I think Madrid's defraying a little bit of the salary cost, but Bale's been terrible. And I think you could kind of see the writing on the wall when that transfer happened or when that loan happened that Bale, he's like an old house that nobody's lived in for a while. And you finally turn on the faucet and all the pipes explode. You know, he's been watching golf and not doing anything for a long time. And now you're relying on him to be the center of your offense and you've lost Erickson. You know, there were rumors that Spurs were going to bring him back, but Tegan and Dabale is not a 10. He's an eight. He's a, he's, a world-class eight, but he's not a 10. And Kane was sort of manufacturing 10-level content from the nine position, and now he's gone. And, you know, rumors are that he's going to be back in a few weeks, but the thing is the fact that Harry Kane's ankles aren't great, and now he's going to come back from this injury and try and facilitate things for Spurs. I, I think it's the same problem, and we'll talk about Arsenal here in a little bit. There's just not time. You know, everything is so condensed We've talked about this multiple times. The issue for Spurs is the fact that as much as I love the FA Cup, and as an Arsenal fan, I think you're duty-bound and obligated to, the reality is Arsenal have Aston Villa on Saturday, and then they don't have a match for a week. Spurs have, I think, West Brom on Sunday, and then they've got Everton on Tuesday or Wednesday because Spurs are still in the FA Cup. They're still in the League Cup against the City team that's not allowed a goal in what feels like forever. They're in the Europa League, and they're in the EPL. And I think you have a schedule like this. Spurs don't have the depth, and Jose Mourinho seems duty-bound to not play the entire roster in their time. And Spurs can't handle that. You can't even sign. You're gonna, like, at this point, you look at teams like Southampton today got drilled 9-0. And I know that part of that was the fact that they – you know, they lost a player in the 97th second or something along those lines. And they lost Bednarak later. And we can talk about VAR as far as that's been applied today for, for denial of the goal scoring opportunity, but death is, is key. And you have to facilitate that. 
and Mourinho's not been doing it. And I think Spurs are going to bear the weight of it. I, I think it is unlikely at best that either team from North London ends up in the top six. Mm-hmm. But, and I, not even being an Arsenal homer here, because it's been a rough season on both sides. I think if you had to pick a team right now that looked more likely to end up in the top six, it would be Arsenal. It, I aside, would agree. Yeah. It, it literally took a terrible red card decision, a Galazzo from Moutinho, and another red card from Leno in order to ensure that Arsenal lost two to one. You know, Southampton lost to Manchester United nine to nil with two red cards and Arsenal still only shipped two goals. I I think if you watch the first half of today's match, we can facilitate that into the Arsenal side. Arsenal were going to wallop Wolves if they'd stayed level on players. And you look at that, the Brighton match, and it was the exact opposite. Spurs got owned in that match and they were lucky to not be down vastly more than a single goal to the extent where today uh, West Brom won their third match in five matches and Spurs have Chelsea on Thursday. And then a West Brom team that's going to have more rest. It's going to incorporate a few of the players that they got in over the transfer window and they have everything to play for on Sunday. And the question is whether or not, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? I think West Brom could beat Spurs on the weekend with a diminished squad in the time that they've got, and especially, you know, Spurs have Everton. Does it matter to you guys in the FA cup? Who knows? But yeah, I think it's going to be rough. I, I think this window was bad. And I think to Jared's point, and again, to facilitate the Arsenal discussion, we, we shipped out dead weight because we understood that those contracts weren't going to be purchased, that, that you weren't going to get transfer fees for any of those players. And we just got them out of the lineup. Now, like Jose's got Deli Alley just sitting orphaned on the sideline. That's not going to be good. Yeah. Like Deli Alley doesn't seem like the kind of player to me that's going to sit there quietly and just take Mourinho's nonsense. And that's not a good player to have around. I think it's going to go, well, it could have go ultimately one of many ways, but depending on how the next few results go, like, do we see Daniel Levy saying, all right, that's enough Mourinho. See you later. Or has he invested so much money too much and money. trust yeah. that he's actually going to stick with him? Too and, much money. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, he's making, he's making seven figures a year, right? If not eight. He's that's, making like 10 yeah. million. Yeah. There's no way. There's Spurs 10. Yeah. Spurs don't have that kind of money, and that's not to castigate Spurs. It's nobody has that kind of money right now. You can't buy off a manager for that. And then who are you going to bring in? Because not only do you have to pay off Mourinho, you got to bring somebody else in. And by the time you're done paying Mourinho, that's transfer fees for a player that you really want, right? And I mean, again, you're trying to facilitate and generate income. And Spurs' biggest problem right now is if you, I mean, Lionel Messi's last contract costs Barcelona. 555 million euros like they don't the teams that would buy Kane don't have any money yeah so it's going to be like it for the next five years Spurs fans strap in it's going to be a bumpy and and what we offloaded was a double departure of Jetson Fernandez and Paulo Gazaniga oh my god don't get me started on the latter so basically Joe Hart is now number two makes uh... no (laughs) sense to me and there's no way real quick and I, I agree there is no way that 
the Jose Mourinho experiment is going to be done prior to the expiration of that contract. It is an impossibility yeah. because they have put everything into guaranteeing a trophy. And that's why I think the only way, if there's an out, so to speak, with the lowest percentage, is if Spurs crash out of Europa, very possible. Crash out of FA Cup, very possible. Finish, as Boy said, outside top six, very possible. Mm-hmm. And don't bring home the League Cup. If all four of those things happen, then maybe, maybe we're talking about moving on. To whom? Eddie Howe. <laughs> I've been saying that. I've been saying that for years. Now, <laughs> you finish off, you pay uh, Josie Mourinho, and then you pay Eddie Howe and, I don't know, crisps. But, uh, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, like, that's who you're talking about, right? I mean. Oh, well, your problem for the League Cup is the fact that, Listen, it's basically been the Etihad Cup for Manchester City over the last decade. I don't even know how many of them they've won, but they've pasted people, including an Arsenal match that I watched in person. It wasn't fun. But City have shipped 13 goals in 20 matches. It doesn't lead me to – and Pep takes all of these cup games pretty seriously the entire time. So he's going to play Ruben Diaz and John Stones. And 13 goals in 20 games, that's – it's better than Liverpool's record in the, the season that they had one of the best defensive records in the entire league. I, I just think if you're Jose Mourinho or your Spurs fans and you're hinging your head on that, ultimately, if you win that, that's a big, it's a big victory and nobody can take that away. But like this city's not a team like Liverpool that plays a B plus team lineup in those matches. Pep's going to play an A team and you might have De Bruyne back by then. And I, that's just not something that you count as the Spurs win off the, off the kick. I don't think. Yeah. Oh, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go and flip the script. Let's go and travel a little bit further north, or whichever geographical direction it is, to good old Arsenal. Um, yeah, kind of crazy because what's funny about this is I actually wrote out a little intro saying, "Oh, Arsenal are somewhat rising from the ashes. They've got a couple of wins under their belt now. It was looking like relegation talk at the very beginning, but." Uh, from today, of course, which again, we'll, we'll break down exactly what we thought of that match, but um, kind of bizarre, kind of interesting. Does it, Boyce, reflect, today's result reflect on the fact that Ars- where Arsenal are now, or was it just a case of two red cards? They're still somewhat in an ascendancy, if we can call it that. Uh, give us your assessment of Arsenal currently thus far. I mean, Arsenal were perhaps in their best offensive form of the entire campaign for the first 45 minutes today. I mean, within, again, much like the Southampton match where Lacazette had an opportunity to be able to score a goal within the first minute. Uh, Saka had a chance to score a a goal and it went off the inside of the post and bounced out. Um, There was another Saka goal that was ruled offside during that period of time. Uh, Nicola Pepe looks absolutely rejuvenated. That goal was pretty phenomenal. of a goal today where he absolutely annihilated everybody on Wolves and then proceeded to score a goal. Uh, You know, Arsenal were unfortunate to not be up by more than one at the point that everything went wrong. I I just, I have a big problem with the denial of a goal scoring opportunity, double jeopardy rule. I, I think that William Jose, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he was running and I think, he happened to extend into David Louise's leg 
And it was in the box. And I think in all likelihood, that's probably something that you should rule as a penalty. But the idea that David Louise gets a red card, Arsenal get a penalty, and then Wolves, obviously, Ruben Neves ends up scoring the PK and it's 1-1. That's just a lot for what happened. Yeah. You know, the idea that the, the reality of that is that the Premier League wants to say that if David Louise had challenged for the ball, that it, everything would have been okay. So you're telling me that like David Louise sort of sithed through William Jose and potentially injured him. And that would have been a yellow card and a PK, but like the slightest form of contact and that's a red card is just ridiculous. And it mm-hmm. happened to Bednarak against Manchester United. It, it's not, it's not a red card offense. It just isn't. It's a foul in the box and it should absolutely be a PK. And it's the same thing, right? Like the ratio of a penalty kick versus where William Jose was from a scoring position is equal sort of generally, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the frustrating thing is that ultimately a yellow card to David Louise and a penalty kick is a fair result in that instance, especially when there's no evidence whatsoever that there's any intentionality behind it. But as an Arsenal fan, it's frustrating, but it's frustrating because we should have annihilated them. Mm. We were the better team on the day. We ultimately in the first half had vastly better possession. Um, we've been trending in the right direction. I think it's going to be really interesting because obviously next match we're without Leno now for the most, just, I think he just lost it in the time. I think everybody was just so frustrated at the time that he went out to go try and claim that ball and he lost his mind, which is fine. I was losing my mind as well. Um, (laughs) But I think everything else is trending upward. Like you're looking at Sokka on the right. You're looking at Pepe on the left. Finally, our 72 million pound purchase looks like he's coming. He's coming good. I mean, he's manufactured some incredible goals throughout the course of this campaign, both in the EPL and in the Europa league, we've got a pretty solid depth of offensive quality. When you consider that Aubameyang's back, you know, I mean, you look at Martinelli, you look at the players that we have on the wings, there's quality there in spades that will allow us, I think, to maintain the level of depth that we need to compete in the two competitions that we're in throughout the end of the year. But to your point about Spurs FA cup reality, I think it's great. Like if Arsenal can manage a victory against Villa on the weekend, as opposed to having a midweek fixture in the FA cup next week, they've got nothing. So Arsenal gets to sit there. They get to try and get Tierney healthy. They get to try and get their roster back in one piece and facilitate that and then come back into the season. And you know, yeah, Spurs have two matches in hand. I don't know whether or not you think they're going to end up beating Chelsea. I think that's going to be a pretty interesting match one way or another anyway, but you You'd like to think that the Tuchel manager bounce with the high levels of quality that they have might lead Chelsea to be in a pretty solid position on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be cheering for a draw. I just think that today was one of those days where it was really frustrating, but it it legitimately, it took a Galazzo, two red cards, and one of the worst officiating displays that I've seen in a really, really long time in order to be able to ensure that Wolves won by a single goal. And Arsenal were down to two, they were down two men for 25 minutes and didn't concede. Mm. And Jared, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's yeah. it. Jared, uh, let me ask you this. If Spurs and Arsenal were to play tomorrow in the North London derby, who would win? <laughs> 
I don't know which team shows up when, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of the problem with this? I mean, yeah, we have our. You know, I mean, it's also at Arsenal to the extent that that even. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah let's go for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've I've disagreed with Boyce in the sense that I still believe that home field advantage matters. Now, uh, I would like now that we're into like a calendar year of this. I would like to go through and kind of break that down and compare that to um, in years past. Perhaps if there's some stat nerd out there listening, you could you know, get me those numbers. That'd be great. Uh, but um, so, you know, I, I, I think you always get a little bit of push at home. Um, that being said, it would depend on which team shows up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have an ascendant arsenal squad. I mean, they're playing much better of late as boy said, you know, that um, I, I'm going to disagree on on the red card and all of that, uh, mostly because my issue is greater with uh, this BS and VAR with offside. I mean, that first soccer goal uh, was absolutely great. And you can't tell me that that offside, which was, I think, by a toe, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, um, on, on a switch of the field that was eventually um, not – I guess, in my opinion, not really an effect on the play. Um, but this is the problem with dealing with absolutes, right? I mean, we see our architectural graphs and all that crap comes in. Uh, uh, so, Jared, can I interject for one second since you're talking about VAR and I want yeah. to talk about the, the Southampton-Aston <laughs> yeah. Villa VAR might be the worst. Is it the worst? The fact so. that Danny Ng's sleeve yeah. was offside. Is That's just, what we're talking about. It's just insane. It's insane. I was watching that match and I was watching the VAR thing and it, I, Jared's talked about this before and I'll defer to him on some aspects of it, but it literally looked like they were trying. Like you can watch them draw the lines and it looked as though in that instant they were trying to rule out the goal. And you, Southampton are going to need points. They got drilled 9-0 today. They, you can't tell me that goal doesn't count. It, it just... It's insane to me, the idea that his sleeve, his sleeve, like you can't, I know that that's not a handball if it hits your arm above the sleeve, but he's also not going to score with that part of his body, right? Like Danny Ings isn't going to shoulder elbow in a ball. He's just not, it's not going to happen. It's, not, it's ridiculous. Well, then we're talking about the philosophy of the rule, right? The whole point of the rule is to have some semblance of control and give the, give the defense a fucking shot, right? Uh, so it keeps the game bunched to a certain extent and it's the only, literally the only restriction of movement in the entire game, which is why it's beautiful. So if you're talking about does that subscribe to the philosophy and ethos of the rule, the answer is no. <clears throat> Right. The goal is not to make sure that every single piece and every single millisecond, every single part of it, in which case, by the way, they've gotten that wrong. So let's let's acknowledge that. But that's what they're shooting for. Now, you look at David Luiz, the spirit of that rule as they write it. Right. It's basically, you know, kind of your point. If he had if he had slid into him and taken him out there's actually an argument there that it should only be a gush and yell. It wouldn't have been, we know that, but based on how the, how the law is written, uh, there's an argument there. The problem is, is Luis got caught ball watching 
And in order to try to make up strides, because he runs like a baby zebra, uh, he, he hit the guy. So for that... The guy hit him. But did no. he? I was going to say the contact was... I couldn't even it see was, it. It was, he it was in, infinitesimal contact. It was so insignificant. He's ahead of him. He's ahead of him. It doesn't matter. It does be, matter. The player can't be mad over that. That's, again, it does like, matter. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who I hate, actually came out today and was like, Look. that's ridiculous. And then Clattenburg said it was ridiculous. And then, like, Paul Merson, who doesn't really count in this debate because he's an Arsenal player. But, like, Bettner actually shouldn't have been sent off today. And Luis I'm going to make you I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm make you happy. I promise. At the end of this, I'm going I'm, I'm to make you happy. <laughs> with that, with the law as it is written, there was, I think it was a head of the FA who came out and was like, look, it's written that way because we can't, uh, uh, we can't glean intent from a player's actions, so we can't review it, which is a load of bollocks. You've got <laughs> to be kidding me. So the fact that the Premier League is saying, in this instance, as it is written, we are boxed in, oh my goodness, we have no, we have no choice but we're going to sit there for nine days and talk about whether or not hitting here is a handball as I'm pointing to my upper ribs and all of that. I mean, it's psychotic. They are picking and choosing at what point they can draw these, again, arbitrary lines, literally and figuratively, when it comes to the review. And that's the problem I've had with this. The problem I've had with it from the jump is that there is no way, there is no way to adjudicate all of this consistently because they are going to punt on the laws of the game were not written to be thrown in and then reviewed through through video. They didn't take the opportunity to rewrite some of these things. Be- well, I'll say my other thing is the fact that I, you guys, bigger NFL fans than me, but I think what's happening here is very similar to what happened when the NFL decided that they were going to allow for challenge flags to be thrown for pass interference penalties. And it's the fact that like there is so much deference to what happens on the pitch or on the field, that the fact that you can have those reviewed is meaningless. You know, you look at that situation in New Orleans where they had it reviewed in a playoff game and it was absolutely pass interference and they decided that it wasn't. This is exactly it. You look at a situation where I- the fact that they couldn't change it. That was the reaction to the rule. Right, and it's so egregious. But they don't change it, right? Like they throw flags for pass interference calls now and none of it changes because there's ultimately so much deference to the referee that's on the field. And you, you know, I, I laughed today because Hector Bellerin posted a photo after the match was over with of him looking at Craig Pawson, fist bumping Connor Cody. And that was it. And I was just like, yeah, this is where we are with match officials in premier league matches. They've been terrible all year. They continue to be terrible. You know, it's a situation where, VAR hasn't made them better. I think at the beginning, I wanted to believe that VAR would make the center officials better, and it hasn't. It's made them worse because the people in the booth either don't know what they're doing, are exacting to a millimeter with rules that don't necessarily work, are so deferential to the the center official that's on the pitch that they don't dare intercede. And I just, I'm here and I understand straight regulatory rule-based arguments in terms of how things go. But the idea that what Louise or what Badnerak did today 
deserves a red card and a penalty is ridiculous given what the intent of the rule is. It is vastly worse if a player goes in and tries to injure another player with a horrible slide tackle. And the fact that ultimately you're encouraging that amongst central defenders in an effort to be able to get the ball is not something that's player centric. It's not anything that makes sense. And it's not within the intent of the rule. I will say that like William Jose had a fairly solid opportunity to be able to score a goal in that position, but I, I, you know, and Jared may disagree, but I think he had an equal, you know, when you have Ruben Neves up on the penalty spot, you have an equally good opportunity to score a goal from that time. Luis could have been cautioned and that would have been it. And I also, the other thing that I'm going to throw out here is that I think that penalty kicks should be like free throws in basketball. And the person that's fouled should be the person that has to take the penalty. Oh, kick. Oh, yeah. off it. <laughs> Absolutely. Same so, person, same shot. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I never really thought about that, but I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, at that point Again. though, you're kind of nitpicking at like abilities because I don't know. I'd have to think about that one over, but. I mean, again, this, no. I don't have time to get into why, no. But very much no. As someone who took a lot of penalty kicks, I'd have been out of a job, so sure. Let's real quick look at elsewhere in the league. We've already kind of touched upon Manchester United and their freak 9-0 victory over Southampton. Do we think, guys, that United are actually going to really push for the title this season, or are they going to find a point where they start to really show their true colors? No, they're terrible. Bruno Fernandez is a terrible, awful, divey player, and City are vastly better. I just think you saw Manchester United play against Sheffield United. You saw the lack of quality there. I, today, everybody's going to come out of this Manchester United match, and I think the thing that's going to be very frustrating if you're a City fan is that the goal differential just got absolutely annihilated within the context of like one match, and that's going to become important, I think, potentially later on. Mm-hmm. But I'll stick it here. It's not going to be important. Mm-hmm. City are going to win the league by five, maybe 10 to 15 points. Okay. Uh, I, I absolutely think that's the case. Uh, Liverpool seems to be now, say, bounce back after their victory against Spurs. But do we see them making significant strides towards the top? Or is City still going to take that, take the potential crown this year? Jared, we'll go with you with that one. Uh... I mean, again, I mean, we've talked about this with this Liverpool squad. I mean, it's a regression to the mean, right? I mean, you can't be that good for that long. In order to be that good for that long, you you got to really have something special. Still a good team. There's no no two ways about that. But I mean, you have, you know, come to a voice of saying you got uh, you got City level on points in United and the number one with two matches in hand. I mean, they're they're the team to beat, and yeah. I don't. Um, I mean, looking at their schedule kind of coming up, um, it's going to be interesting to see what these other competitions do. I mean, they're, I mean, Leipzig is certainly no pushover. Uh, so it's going to be. No, uh, that one from last well, time. So I have a question for you guys, since we're on a quiz podcast and I know the answer to this, how many <laughs> goals has Manchester United scored against the, we'll say like old school top six this season, this season, how many goals? It's like less than five, isn't it? Like it's James. Um, I'm going to say something maybe a little bit higher, maybe eight. One. <laughs> yeah. 
They, do you know who they scored it against? Uh, uh, Spurs, probably. Yeah, Spurs. Yeah. You guys beat them 7-1. It's the only goal, goal that they've scored against the traditional like top 16 this year because they Everything can't manufacture been, goals. Everything else has been nil no I love it. Uh, yeah. Chelsea have finally parted ways with Frankie Football, much to Jared's delight. Um, but they bring in Thomas Tuchel very I'm quickly. I'm only a year late, <laughs> a year off. <laughs> Close. Um, what are our thoughts on that hire? Are Chelsea now going to bounce back based on the talent that they have? Is it going to take a little bit more time? How long does Tuchel have? Is it a week? Is it two weeks? What do we think? I mean, they signed him for a year and a half. On a managerial contract. That's the most Chelsea thing in the entire history of the world to do. I, he <laughs> he sure. wasn't very good in his first match. I, they played a really terrible team last week. I, we'll see once, you know, we'll see on Thursday, I think, in terms of how they are against a struggling Spurs squad. But if you're going to rely on Aspilicueta to score a really nice goal and Marcus Alonso to score a worldie, in order to beat a terrible team, I'm going to say that I still have doubts about your long-term capacity. And this is as an Arsenal fan that's desperately wishing for a draw on Thursday. Like I absolutely want it, but like it, they didn't look any better. Did you see, this has been talked about on another podcast, but it was still one of my favorite things in the world where the Chelsea account tweeted out a video of them connecting 16 passes in a row. And they were like, look at this offense and that was it. That was it. That was their thing from that first match, the two match, the two show that he, that he coached. They were like, the team got 16 passes in a row. Oh God. And it's wow. like, <laughs> I did it great. result in a goal or was it just, yeah, no. Yeah. It was like, this is no, no goal. It was no goal. They didn't score any goals. There were no goals that were scored. And it's one of those things where it's like, what is the point? What is the meaning are, of this? What are you doing? No, I mean, <laughs> Listen, Abramovich has done this the entire time that he's been in charge of Chelsea. Nobody's been safe. Nobody really should have expected Lampard to be safe. But this is the this is the opposition to that, right? Like this is a situation where again, Chelsea tried to drive in new players during a time where they had money from the Hazard deal and transfers were devalued, but they did it in a haphazard fashion that wasn't very good. And now Chelsea are in a situation where they can't generate income from player transfers because nobody has any money and they have everybody out on loans and you can't generate money from loan fees anymore because basically loans are just people taking portions of salary. And, you know, we're back where we started. I, I, Tuchel's as doomed as anybody else is because the standard at Chelsea that, that Abramovich is trying to set is championships and this team's not good enough for it. No matter how you set them up and they're not better than Liverpool. They're not better than Man City. They're probably not better than Leicester. And even on their best day, they're probably not better than United. So they're not getting in the top four. Uh, last thing I'll ask you guys, it looks like Fulham on 14, West Brom on 12 and Sheffield United on 11 points. So we pretty certain that those are the three teams going down this season. And if not, who else could potentially be in the mix? Jared, we'll start with you with that one. Uh, yes, yes, maybe. Yes, yes, maybe uh, to Sheffield United. <laughs> actually, I mean, I mean they have Sheffield have won three of their last five, so you never know. But, <laughs> but they're just so 
I mean, you look at West Brom's goal difference, and my God. Yeah, that's scary. We've been talking about this the entire way. I mean, they're at a minus 34 in 22 matches. Yep. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, you're looking at uh, Brighton, seven points clear, with Fulham with a match in hand on Brighton. That win for Brighton was pretty big. Massive. Yeah. Right? So against you know, The other thing is the fact that Brighton's just better than those teams. Brighton's better than the 17th place I think team so. in the league. Yeah. I think yeah, so. I, I, and I think so Newcastle, Burnley, and Wolves. I mean, I, I think all of those teams are safe. So I have to think that, yes. I mean, yeah. it, uh, um, you know, always have a soft spot for Fulham. Boyce and I have that in common. But I yep. think, uh, you know, it, I just don't see it. Yeah. Boyce, would you agree? Yeah, I think it's too far gone. I think uh, Fulham had their best opportunity the entire year when they had Brighton and West Brom back-to-back, and they couldn't manage anything other than a draw against both of those teams. I, I legitimately think the team that is underperformed the most as far as XG is concerned is Brighton, and that's because they just don't have a legitimate number nine. You know, Mape is a solid player, but he's he's not a true number nine. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, they've underperformed a little bit from a goal scoring perspective, but I, I think they're vastly better. I, I think the only the only potential opportunity for any of those teams to stay up is Newcastle. They invested as well as you can during the pandemic in a January transfer window. I, I like Steve Bruce. I think he's a good coach. I'm with Jared. I would love for Fulham to stay up, but I, I just you're talking about so many points. Yeah, right now, and I think the only way this happens is. You look at a team like Brighton, uh, Newcastle are already out of the FA Cup, so they're on the same schedule that, that Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield are on. I, think about the fact that those teams need – the differential right now is – is it five? From 14 to 21, you mean, on points? Four, from 18th place to 17th place. Yeah, so if, uh, 21 is what Brighton and Hove uh, are on right now, so you're looking at seven? seven points. Yeah. That's, I mean, that team, even if you, you factor that into methods of three, right? Like we're a little bit into the second half. That's five wins. They're on pace for 30 points. I, I just, I think Brighton's going to generate more than that. That's a good squad. I think Newcastle's going to save themselves. I just, can you, I just don't think any of the three of us can actually argue that Fulham, West Brom, or Sheffield are capable of generating enough wins in the back half of the season to be able to get themselves out of the bottom. I just, I just don't see it. When Fulham's got two matches to get on pace and their next five are host to Leicester host to West Ham at Everton host blades. And then at palace, there's no way. I mean, there's there's going to be fuller down in the dumps. I mean, unless they can cannibalize some points there with Sheffield, but that, I mean, even then they're basically, I, again, Fulham needed to win at least one of those matches against West Brom or, Brighton and they didn't win either of them and they've been better but they were historically terrible at the beginning half of the season so being better than that's not a a good standard I I just don't I don't see it it's a shame because I like Fulham but that's just the way things are that is the way things go guys we are gonna wrap it up there thank you so much for your input as always uh guys who are listening don't forget to check us out on all our social media it is kick corner flag on instagram facebook and good old twitter take it easy